we want we are doing our journey through the Bible, and uh, and it is it's intimidating, it, it, but it's exciting. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed it so far. I mean, I I get in there and I'm getting with it. I mean, I just it's just seeing the big picture how what God means for us as He goes through the Bible and just bringing out some things and it, and it ought to make you now you go back it does me I, I, my problem is is I want to get bogged down I'll be something good and I want to put too much time into it and I think well wait a minute I got to go on you know I, I'm not dwelling on this one chapter I've got to get the whole book and so that's our purpose is the overview of it not but Come back later, there's wonderful messages and wonderful symbols and things that's in that book that we're not even going to touch that's there and talk about. But maybe this would get us excited to go back to it there. But uh, like I said, we're on Exodus part 2 this week. You know, I didn't get finished and there'll be some books it'll take two or three weeks and we could spend uh, a month. But, you know, I want to hit it and go on and get the picture that God wants us of the, of the whole Bible. And, uh, and uh, this is uh, today uh, the tabernacle when we get to it in a little bit. I hope that you get thrilled and get excited the way I, I have about what God, the symbols that He's left for us. It is amazing. It's amazing what God planned from the very beginning that fits so wonderful now. It makes us see things if we look at it. And God, He planned it that way. It wasn't just a haphazard or just coincidence here. But, you know, last week I said that there was four main theme parts in, in Exodus. It was the Passover and crossing the Red Sea. That's what we preached on last week. And then the, the, the last two uh, was the law and the tabernacle. That's the four main themes of Exodus. And so today will be the law and the tabernacle. And so the giving of the law is in chapters 19 through 31 in, in the Bible there. And you can go back and read that, but that's when God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Now he was on Mount Sinai, was where Moses was called up into the mountain. And he spent 40 days there. But now I want you to think, while Moses was in the mountain, what were the people doing? What were the people doing? They were down there after he was gone. They decided they'd have him just a, a party. They would get Aaron to make him a golden calf. Now remember, they had been for 10 generations, they had been under the Egyptians and worshiping their gods. They had gods for frogs, for the water, for the sun, the moon, everything. They were used to a tangible, physical God that they could touch. And so they decided that they would have Aaron to make them a golden calf. And they would worship it out here. And so they started just having them just an orgy out here. That was the way they were celebrating and doing all these evil things and worshiping this false God. Now this was when Moses was in the mountain... And God was giving him the Ten Commandments. Don't you know that God knew what was going on down there in the valley? He knew all along. But at the same time, God was providing a way to cover those sins of the people that was down at the foot of the mountain. At the same time, He was providing a way for them. that was going. The, what they had was not going to make it. But He was providing a way, and that's what He was doing. He was giving the law, and then He was providing the tabernacle to cover the sins that these people were committing and would commit in the future here. But the grace of God was here. 
Visualize. I want you to visualize this now. Today, a lot of visual. You know, I got to thinking that, you know, we're getting away from that. Our kids, we're all raised with a visual. They see Sesame Street. They see colors. They see video. We see TV. We see cameras. We see it. We don't imagine. We don't use our minds to picture things too much anymore. We're losing that. But we need to visualize the Bible here. This morning you have to visualize the tabernacle. Visualize Moses on the mountain here. And it it thrills you sometimes when you do that. We don't need to lose that. We need to visualize it here. But during this was going on, God was providing a way. And then the grace of God came along for these people. What is old song, Amazing Grace? that saved a wretch like me. The wretch that was down at the foot of the mountain, two million people that was at the bottom, and Moses was up here talking to God, and God provided a way for those two million people so that they'd have a way into heaven, that they were all doomed if He didn't do that. And God was providing a way then that He continued to provide a way for me and you today. But the law here, the law was God's true nature. It was His holiness. It was His unchangeability. God, His standards do not change. Now remember that. God's standards do not change. They they do not. Even Jesus, over in Matthew, the 5th chapter and 48th verse, He tells us, He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, did Jesus really think that we could be perfect? No. He knew we were going to fail. He knew we would sin. But what He was wanting us to realize though, that He wanted us to know that God's standards do not change. His standards are there. That's where we're to reach to. He didn't say, just like one of the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. He didn't say write a clause in there just when you stop loving one another. You know, it's okay. He says don't write in a clause. He said it does not change here. And that's what Jesus was wanting us to know when He said that. But they were all, but He has made it possible for our sins to be covered by God's perfectness. That's how they're covered is because God is perfect. We're not but He can cover our sins with His perfect sacrifice. That's what He's getting to. But now, the the Ten Commandments, which is in the 20th chapter of Exodus, and everyone has heard those, but I just want to just go, just mention them. Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven images. Uh, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. You know, and so that was the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses here. And that was, but God's answer to the imperfection, to the sin of people, was the fourth theme, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the answer to the problems of the people there in the valley right here. But tabernacle, let's get on it now. That's, I love the tabernacle. I hope we, we can, the, the, you could just spin and spin on a tabernacle. But the tabernacle, it means tent, or it means a place of dwelling, or sanctuary. Sanctuary. What do we call this place here? A sanctuary. That's a tabernacle. A tent, a place to dwell. That's where God dwells. That's where we got our name for it, is sanctuary. 
is, is the tabernacle. It was a sacred place where God chose to meet His people during the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That was His choice of where He was going to meet them at. It's different today, and we'll get to that. But he, it was first erected in a wilderness exactly one year after Passover. Exactly one year after Passover, they created the, the tabernacle was here. Now, the designs and specifications, they were given now exactly the same time as the Ten Commandments. God, we think of Him just getting the Ten Commandments and coming down. But also, He gave Moses the design and description of the tabernacle at the same time. Moses came down with that when he came down with the, with the Ten Commandments here. Now, the, this picture now, the tabernacle would be in the center of the camp. You're talking about two million people. It would be in the center of the camp. Twelve tribes, they would be three on the north, south, east, and west of the tribes. They were designated where they were supposed to be every day. And it was in the center of the camp. Where did you to a town when it was built? What was in the center of the town that the homes were built around in the stores? The church. What in a community? What was built and people built around it? It was the church. It was the center of it. Where do you think we got that from? It came from here. It was the center of it right here. And so <laughs> they were all appointed in certain places around it. And the entrance to it, the entrance always faced east. Always faced east. Why? You know, how about a grave? When you, most graves, all of them if they can, which way do they face? You stand at a grave, you stand at the head of it, and that's the foot of it, and you look up and you're going to be facing east. All the graves are pointing east. Next time you go to a cemetery, I've done that a lot, stand there at the head of that tomb uh, and we're burying somebody. I know over here on Mountain Home when you can look over on Lookout Mountain, I've stood there on that side and I look across there and I look at Lookout Mountain. I think about the sun coming up over that mountain right there. But that grave faces the east. Because one day when we come out of that grave, I'm going to be standing up and I'm going to be looking at the east. That's where God is coming from. He'll split the eastern sky. That's why they face the east. The tabernacle, the gate, the entrance, the only entrance always faced the east. Always was that way. No matter where they put it or where they, they, they built it there, it was always there. Now then over the whole camp, was a great cloud by day and a fiery pillar at night. It followed them wherever they went. Now this was proof of God's presence. I told you that these people had been ten generations under the Egyptians. Ten generations. You know, they, they had lost all contact with Jehovah God except for a few people had passed it down by word of mouth. They had no books, the, the, the Scripture and all. That, that it had to be passed down, but for ten generations, 
And so all they knew was a physical God. They needed something that they could see or a visible God. That's why God appeared in a cloud, in a fire. That is what He he had there. You know, and sometimes in our human needs... I'd like to see a fire. I'd like to see a cloud. But that's not the way it is now. It's not, the tabernacle's not there. But it was over the whole camp here. Now then, God gave them instructions. Look on Exodus 25th chapter. These are the instructions. Now, I like this type, according to pattern. I've used that in a sermon before. I like that, according to pattern. God makes things according to pattern. He builds churches according to pattern. He builds lives according to pattern. He builds homes and families and marriages. He builds them by pattern. According to pattern is the way it is. Exodus 25 and verse 1 through 9. And then verse 22. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly, with his heart ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold, silver, brass, and blue and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and shittim wood, oil in the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stone, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplates. Where did they get all that stuff? Where did they get all the gold and the jewelry and all this? From the Egyptians is where they got it. He was, they were so glad to get rid of them. They said, take all we got. And so they cleaned them out. And they took all their gold, their jewelry. And they had all enough stuff. Why did God let them do that? Because He was going to use it in the tabernacle. It's made of solid gold. Some of this we'll get to in a minute. It's a, the stand is a solid gold piece beaten into the shape. But they got it from the Egyptians is where it came from. They had nothing. They were slaves. And then verse uh, 8, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wanted to dwell among them. God wants to dwell with me and you. He wants to dwell with us this morning right here in Chester Grove. In this sanctuary, he wants to dwell with us. Verse 9, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. He says, Moses, you make it exactly, exactly according to pattern what I have shown you on this mountain, and that's the way I want it built. And Moses, I believe if Moses had not have done it, God would have struck him dead if he'd have tried to change it. I mean, if he'd left one nail out, if he'd have not used one color he was supposed to, because God said, you'll do it exactly the way I say, or you won't do it at all. And I want us to get that point this morning. You'll do it the way I say to do it, and it'll be my way and not your way. But this tabernacle here, and then he says in verse 22, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. He said, I'll be there. I'll meet with you. Now, the tabernacle, it was divided into three sections. And I'm going to use this church, our parking lot, and the church sanctuary, and up here in the pulpit. That's three areas, and I can see that myself, and maybe you can. But it was divided into three sections. We had the outer court, we'll say, which was the paved parking lot out there. We got the holy place, which is the sanctuary. And then we got a curtain up here, and we got the holy of holies is up here. 
Just about the size of that table right there was the Holy of Holies. And uh, there was a curtain dividing each one of them here. But there were three of them. Now think about this. Isn't the Bible sort of full of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is that just a coincidence? Is that just a coincidence? I don't think so. Three parts. Amen. <laughs> that ought to thrill us right there. Amen. But the, the lesson here was complete obedience. Exactly as God said. Now, God, he, he gave us one chapter on the creation of the universe. One chapter. You know how many chapters are, are about the tabernacle? Over 50. Over 50 in the Bible. Now, so that means that's important. That's very important. It's very symbolic. It's very predictive of the future here. Over 50 here. But it was complete obedience had to be done. As he said, according to pattern. It had to be done. They had to obey reverently. They could uh, come only on God's terms and not their own. Any irreverence or uncleanness resulted in expulsion from God or even death if they didn't follow that. <laughs> you know, this here, you know, I, I, I get, we got to do it God's way. I worry about sometimes our young folks. Don't think you can do it your way. It's got to be God's way. You get married and you think, well, I've got a career. I've got a home. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And you just put God on the back burner. I'm telling you, you're going to get in trouble. I worry about you. It worries me to see young folks do this because I know they're headed for trouble. I know you are. Because when you do it your way, God says according to pattern. If you don't do it to God's way, putting Him first, serving Him, you're going to get in trouble. Your home is going to get in trouble. You're asking for it. You cannot, and that's what it's telling us here, you do not go against God's pattern. He says exactly the way I said, and you do it. I'm glad I've got a God like that. I don't have to know, is he wishy-washy? Or can I deal with him? Or can I compromise? Or maybe you can talk him out of it, and I can't. No, we're all the same. It don't matter. We're all going to be treated the same with it right here. <laughs> Amen. But the forecast here was of God's redemptive plan. Over in John, the first chapter, verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The tabernacle, it was Jesus when He was on earth. He was walking around, and He was the, the tabernacle at that time. Now, He was the tabernacle when He was on earth. We are the tabernacle now. We are the tabernacle. Look in Revelation 21 and verse 3. Beautiful verse. Revelation 21 in verse 3, we are the tabernacle now. Scripture tells us that. Revelation 21 3 says, And I helped a great voice, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Amen. 
We're the tabernacle now. I'm looking at a bunch of tabernacles that God dwells in. But our tabernacle is symbolic. This one is symbolic of this tabernacle, of this sanctuary, of this tabernacle here. And so God is showing us from the very beginning here. Now, let's look at the, the tabernacle. Like I said, there's more than 50 chapters in the Bible that, that talks about the tabernacle. But I want us to, for a little bit to open up our spiritual eyes. Open up your spiritual eyes, not human eyes, not trying to reason, but spiritual eyes. And us say with John, as John said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Spiritual eyes look into it right here. And that's what God wants us to, to do this way. But the tabernacle, it was 150 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. About like half of a football field. Just about like this church here. That's why I like to use this. You can see it. It's about this size with a parking lot here. And it, and it had a outside, there was a like a fence, a cloth fence with poles, that curtains that was put up on the outside of the tabernacle. And all this, the holy place and all was on the inside of it here. But first, as we go to the tabernacle here, first thing we notice, first thing we notice is that there's only one way in. There's only one way in that place. Only through the gate. Only through the gate. Matthew 7. Matthew 7 and verse 13. It says, Jesus speaking, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction. And many there be, <coughs> which go in thereof. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth into life, and few there be that find it. Amen. We, find, we see the, that the first time. There's one gate. There's one way in, and that's the only way into the tabernacle right here. Now then, <coughs> we go through the gate, and the first thing that we see when we come in the gate, we come in, we'll say we're out in the parking lot. We walk through the, the curtain of the, the outdoor uh, fence. We walk through it, the gate. The first thing that we approach is the altar of sacrifice. Right there in the middle, you can't miss it. You walk up to it. It's a big altar with horns on each side. It just is the place that the sacrifice is offered. The person brings their sacrifice, a lamb or whatever it is. It's examined to see if it's got any blemishes, any lameness, one eye or anything. If it's perfect, it's acceptable. They take the animal and kill it. The priest catches the blood. They take the blood and they sprinkle it on the horns of the altar. They take the animal and they burn the animal on the altar. And they take the ashes and throw it outside of the, of the tabernacle. That was the sacrifice. But you don't come in without going through the sacrifice. You don't come in without a sacrifice. You don't get no farther. If you don't come with a sacrifice, you don't go nowhere else. So if you come to church and you're lost and you give no sacrifice, you're not going nowhere else. Amen. It has to be there. But <clears throat> this is what is examined. Now next, after we leave the altar, if it's accepted here, we, we go to the next thing that we see, and it's in front of the curtain, the first curtain, which we'll say is the outside door there, fixing to come into the holy place. You walk up to it, and right to it is the brazen uh, uh, laver. 
It's where they wash their hands, the priest. They have to get clean before they come into the holy place. Every day they had to go up to the, to the brass uh, lavender and they had to wash their hands before they could go into the holy place. Have to clean ourselves up. You can't be the same old dirty person. We have to clean up if we're in God's house or if we're in God's presence or if God is going to use us. We have to clean up. You don't stay the same old person that you were. You clean up. You know, I don't care what people wear as long as it's decent and in order and clean. But it bothers me and I see it, especially at funerals sometimes now. People coming with just old nasty clothes. They hadn't shaved in three days. They hadn't took a bath in four or five, looks like. But they're in God's house. You know, we got to clean up. The priest could not even come into the holy place. God was not going to allow them to come in before they washed their hands and cleaned in. So if you want to know God, we got to clean up. You got to have a desire for it. I'm not just, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about spiritually. We got to clean up here if God is, is going to use us. But once they wash their hands and they've cleaned themselves up here, well, then they get to go through the curtain into the holy place. This sanctuary is the holy place here. And in the holy place, when they come in, the first thing they see is over on this side is a big candlestick. The menorah, the lamp, the candle lamp. And on it, it's got six branches, golden branches. This thing was beat from one piece of gold. One piece of gold it was all beaten from. It's got six branches that's coming out of the trunk. What's man's number? Six. Six is man's number. It's got six branches coming out. Each branch... It's got flowers and it's got a bowl that holds oil. What is oil represented in the Scripture? The Holy Spirit. Each one of them. Man is one is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's coming out of the stem, which is Christ. It's not attached. It's not hung on to it. It's part of it. It's beaten from the same piece of gold. It's part of it. We're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. We're not hung on. We're not attached. We're one in Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what that is represented of here. This point to it. And then next, after we come on in, the next thing we see is over here is the table of showbread. And it's over on this side. It's a table about that size. And on that table, it's gold laid. The dishes are gold, solid gold. And on top of it is 12 pieces of bread. 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it's got a, a jar or a jug, a gold, solid gold, that's full of wine. It's the bread and the wine. The bread and the wine that every day that Aaron and his sons would come in. And they ate of the bread and the wine. You know it was sufficient. They didn't need spices. They didn't need dessert. They didn't need nothing but the bread and the wine. The bread and the wine. <laughs> hey, man. What does the, the bread and the wine, what is that representative? We're going to celebrate it here just in about two weeks. We have our communion after church in two weeks. 
invite you to stay because this is happening right here. It was a command of God to carry on. But this, the bread and the wine that he's speaking of, it's on this table. It wasn't just haphazard thousands of years before Christ came along. It was God's plan. God's plan. But the, in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter is the chapter on this bread and wine. 1 Corinthians 11 starts about 23 and through 28. And Jesus talks about, you take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink, do it in remembrance of me. You know, the Lord's Supper that we do today, still carrying on, that we're commanded to do by Jesus Christ and by the New Testament, it was instituted here on the table of showbread that was here. But look what, here at this communion service, it says it was a time of thanksgiving in verse 24 there. He said he gave thanks. Jesus did. It was a time of obedience. He said, do this. Jesus said, do this. It was a time of remembrance. He said, do in remembrance of me. It was remembrance. It was a time of testimony. He said, you do to show forth the Lord's death. He says, you do it to show the world the death of Jesus Christ. He's telling us to do that. And then it's a time of expectation. It was, he said, until he comes. He said, you do this until I split the eastern sky and I come again. You do it. You do it. They did it. Aaron did it. The priest did it. In the sanctuary did it. They ate the bread and the wine. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. And we do it here at Chestnut Grove. In 2016. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That was where he instituted it, it was here. But now, we see the lampstand, we see the table of showbread, and we see them, it's representing the Lord's Supper. Now then, when they leave that, we walk up to the altar of incense. It was right in front of the curtain of the Holy of Holies. was the incense table. And here they burned sweet incense to the Lord. Every day they would come in. Now it says in the Bible that your prayers are as a sweet savor that filters on up unto God Himself. This representing our prayers. The priest would come in and burn that incense and it was a special, a special recipe. that It was to be used only there and nowhere else. Some of Aaron's sons tried to use it somewhere else and they were killed. You didn't do what God told you not to do. Don't we need to learn some of that stuff? He said, burn that incense daily. And he says, you use the recipe that I give you and don't you vary one grain from it. And then they would burn it. And the incense would go up and it had a sweet smell, a sweet savor as our prayers floating up to God. Don't you know that God rejoices when we're on our knees and we're pouring out our hearts to Him, that our prayers is a sweet savor to Him that He's answering and listening to here. And then we stand before the great Holy of Holies, the curtain. The curtain was in front. You were standing there facing the Holy of Holies. Only once a year could the priest go back here. Only once a year. You and I can go every day. Every minute of the day. 
But they stood before the curtain. Now, this veil it was called, it divided the holy place out here from the holy of holies is what it did. The Ark of the Covenant was kept here. This was the centerpiece of all of it, was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was in the Holy of Holies, was here. It was a, there was a barrier between God and man. There was a barrier that everybody couldn't cross. There's a barrier today that every man can't cross or doesn't cross. They're given opportunity, but it's not crossed here. It was the throne room of God. <laughs> It was the very place that Jehovah God lived in that sanctuary. Now visualize this. Visualize it. And only the high priest, only the high priest could ever come back here. And he only got to come once a year. Once a year. Now this veil, this huge curtain across here, it gives you the exact measurements in the Bible, the weight and the thickness it's it's terrible thick in the size of it. But it's hanging here. And one thing unusual about it is it doesn't have a split in the middle. You've got to go around the side to come in. The priests, when they went back there, couldn't go through the curtain. They had to go around. Now I want to give you something that goes along with that. In Matthew 27 and 51, looking at Matthew 27 and verse 51. When Jesus is on the cross and Jesus gives up the ghost, it says. In verse 50, it says, And he yielded up the ghost. Matthew 27 and 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Woo! God, when God died on the cross, he was the sacrifice that had been offered in the altar of sacrifice. He had been the bread and the wine. He had offered up the prayers. And when He died on the cross, the sacrifice was made. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. It ripped in two. You couldn't have torn that with a hundred men on each side. It was split, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. It was split. And it was split representing you're going to have free access to the Holy of Holies. From now on, since Christ died, everybody has free access to the Holy of Holies. Not once a year. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go ask anybody. You can go yourself to the Holy of Holies. And that's what happened. That's why it's told us that in, uh, uh, in Matthew right there about Christ here. But the most holy place, which is the Holy of Holies. Like I said, only once a year the priest came in. It was the Day of Atonement. He came in and he offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And if it pleased God, he accepted it. The friendship between God and the people was renewed. And another year was gone. They worked out another year, paid for their sins. And just think about the sins that two million people did in a year's time. It was pitiful. We, could, we couldn't list them in our library, could we? Just ourselves, much less two million people. And yet God took that sacrifice and He accepted it. And He, okay, we're friends. <laughs> he accepted it and let, let Him go here. But, and, and then, but the, the glory of the Lord rested 
on the lid. He had a lid, solid gold. It was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was gold. On each end of the mercy seat was a cherubim, an angel with outspread wings, and it was pointing to the center. It was protecting the throne of God. The mercy seat was what this was right here. The God's mercy seat here. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, it was where God spoke to the high priest here. The priest sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, just like they did on the altar of sacrifice, to atone for the sins of the people. And then the friendship, like I said, was restored. Now, the Ark was made out of acacia wood, and it was covered with gold. Where was that wood used before? You remember Noah's Ark? Made out of the same thing. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Made out of acacia wood. And inside the, the Ark of the Covenant, what was in there? What was in that box that was so special that God Himself sat on top with a mercy seat was where He sat and judged in judgment? What was inside this? There was three things. First thing was the tablet of the Ten Commandments. The next thing was a jar of manna. jar of manna shows that God will provide. The Ten Commandments shows that God will protect when there's obedience with His people. And the last thing that was in there was Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod proved that he was chosen as a high priest. And it also, when it budded, it was a dead stick. And God caused it to bud. He was showing that God can bring life out of death. God can bring life from death. Those were the three things that was in there. Wouldn't you like to see those? I was sitting there this morning. Brother Lynn, I thought, man, I'd like to feast my eyes on those Ten Commandments that God wrote with His own finger. I'd like to see a jar of manna. I'd like to see Aaron's rod that budded. But somewhere down the line, God let it disappear, didn't He? Why? We'd be just like the old children of Israel. We'd want to have a golden calf. We'd be coming in and bowing down and worshiping that thing. We'd have those Ten Commandments hanging up in a temple and we'd all be going down and bowing down to it. God knew that it wasn't going to exist no more. He said the sanctuary is in here now. It's not out there. You don't have to build one. It's in there. And so that was what was inside of this here, uh, of this. Wonderful things. Now, on top of it was the mercy seat. The mercy seat, it was a lid of solid gold here. Like I said a while ago, it's symbolic of the God's throne. Of God's throne. It talks about in Revelation, Him sitting on the throne of judgment here. And in the sprinkling of the blood was judgment. And it was transformed into grace and mercy. Grace and mercy comes from, from this right here. It was solid gold and it was hammered from one piece. Can you imagine a piece of gold? that was big enough that you could be the lid big enough to cover that table there. That's a huge piece of gold, isn't it? But God, it was one piece. It was not pieced together. It was perfect. It was perfect purity. One piece, it was there. <laughs> and the winged cherubims, they were there protecting it. Only those that were invited in were let to come in. Today, only the ones that are invited in gets to come in. If God's inviting you right now, you'd better take Him up on it. If God's telling you that you need to come to the throne of grace and you came to come to the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, you'd better listen this morning. 
God has warned us over and over. All of us here. But, and then the cloud and the pillow of fire. It was God manifesting His presence with them when they saw this. It set right above the mercy seat was the cloud. That's where it stayed. By day it was a cloud and by night it was a fiery pillow. And they could see it constantly. They were around the camp, but they always looked in the middle and they could either see the cloud or they could see the fiery pillow. They could always see it. They knew that God's presence was there. Now, when God decided to move, He moved the cloud or He moved the fiery pillow. And the people picked it up and they followed it till it stopped. And when it stopped, they built the tabernacle again and that's where they stayed until it moved again. God is telling us, you move when I move. You go where I go. You go where I send you. You do the job that I give you and you do it when I send you. You stop when I tell you and you go when I tell you. Amen. I'm glad I got a God like that. He's not wishy-washy. I don't wonder what He's thinking. I know what He's thinking. I may not want to do it. I know His commandments. I may not want to do it, but I know what He said and there's no compromising. You know, we like to deal, don't we? You know, I'll do something for you if you'll do something for me. How many people has done that? We all have. God, if you'll just do this for me, I'll start doing this. We've worked deals after deals after deals with God. Did He ever work a one of them? Well, of course not. He doesn't deal with us. He doesn't compromise. He's not going to. It's not, it's not going to happen with Him. But <laughs> Now, what does all these articles, what do they have to do? What do they teach us? Well, God has absolutely changed us. He's holy. God does not change. God's laws are exact. No compromise. No deals are made. God is the architect of our lives and our future. He planned it. It was all His idea. You know, we still have to come to Him with a spotless sacrifice. We have to be examined. Not that we're going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But He was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He covers our sins. And so don't you think that I've done too much or too bad? No! If He can let the two million people have an orgy at the bottom of Mount Sinai and Him giving them the tabernacle description, He'll cover your sins also. It'll cover them just like it did all of theirs. There has to be blood on the altar. You don't get saved without the shedding of blood. You have to accept and believe that Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross for you. For you. And that's the shed blood. The blood at the altar is Christ's blood. You have to be washed and clean. You have to want to be cleaned up. You have to want to change. You have to do and act to be changed. It doesn't just happen there. <laughs> you have to eat of the bread and the wine. You have to take of Christ's body. You have to drink of His blood. The commandment to do it, to do it. Do we just take it and say, well, He didn't really say that. Yes, He did. <laughs> he said it. He said, you do it my way or no way. Amen. But you know, I want to read you this about the shadow of the cross. M.R. Uh, Dehan wrote this. And it's about the shadow of the cross. He says, this altar was a place of substitutionary sacrifice. The blood of an animal was poured out on the base of the altar. And the blood was consumed on, upon the altar. It was the place of death. It stood between the gate of the court and the approach to the tabernacle. It barred the way to everyone who would come. 
There was no approach to the tabernacle except by the way of this altar, which of course speaks of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and also bars the way to every sinner coming to God until he stops at this altar and appropriates the blood and accepts the sacrifice as a substitute. There is no further progress. It was both a way to God and a barrier to God. If the Israelites brought their offering to the priest and it was offered on altar, then he could freely approach into the presence of God. If he, however, sought to approach God except by the death of a substitute and by the way of the altar, it was barred completely. When the world says, I don't understand, I don't know what you mean to be saved, they're not offering a sacrifice. They're not coming by the blood. They're not coming by the shadow of the cross. And they're not going to get in. They're not going to be accepted. There was no other way except into the presence of God. There is no approach to God except by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and by faith in His death and substitutionary sacrifice. The Israelites might bring the most beautiful, perfect, lovely, spotless lamb to the priest, but unless it was killed and offered as a sacrifice in the place of a sinner, it availed nothing. Nothing. We might say that Jesus here, you will admire His sinless beauty, sing of His virtues, magnify His graciousness, and laud Him as a perfect example and a noble martyr to a noble cause. But it will not do without His death and personal shedding of His blood. You can be in this world and say, Yeah, I believe in that man Jesus. He was a good man. He was a martyr. He taught good things. and I believe in Him. No, you're not getting nowhere. If you don't come by the sacrifice, you didn't get to the Holy of Holies. Nobody got there without going through the steps to get there. Nobody did and nobody does today. We try to, but it won't work. It won't. We've got a world full of them that, that's not working here. Amen, and it will not. But, you know, God moved in, church. God moved in. <laughs> the last chapter of Exodus there, chapter 40, and about verse 33. I want to read some of that as we're closing the Exodus here. But the last chapter, God moves in. God moves into the tabernacle. He moves into the church. He moves into this old body of you and I. It moves in Exodus 30, 40 and verse 33. And He reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation because the cloud abode therein and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God moved in, people. He moved into the tabernacle. And when Christ died on the cross, He moved into the Holy of Holies out of it and into our bodies and into our churches. God moved in. You know... Jesus is the bread of life. You've heard that. He says, I'm the bread of life. In John, the 16th, the 6th chapter, in verse 47, is where Jesus is talking about that. And he says, Jesus tells us in, in that, he says, I am the bread of life. John 6 and 47. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, and that is, man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is all I need. Manna was all they needed. Do you realize that? They didn't have to eat nothing else but manna. They didn't get scurvy. They didn't have to have vitamins. They didn't have to have calcium. They didn't have to have the meat. The manna was enough to sustain them. God finally gave them some because they complained some meat, but the manna was complete. It was perfect. They were healthy. They never got sick. Their clothes never wore out. Can you imagine such great food that nobody got sick? It was perfect. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is all I need. Manna is all they needed. All they needed. In Exodus, the 16th chapter, it talks about the manna. It says, you can go back and read it, but the 16th chapter of Genesis of Exodus says, it was needed, in verse 3, manna was. It was the free gift of God, verse 4. It came down from heaven. It came at night. It was small. It was within reach of everyone. It had to be personally received. You couldn't have a neighbor to go pick up your manna and bring it back to you. You picked up your own manna. You can't be saved. you got to pick it up yourself. Nobody can do it for you. It had to be gathered quickly. Now. Now is the day of salvation. All invitations are now in the Bible. Now. Not later, but now is the day of salvation. It was white. It was pure. It was sweet to the taste. It was food for the journey. And it was completely satisfying. Completely satisfying. <laughs> Amen. Isn't God's Word completely satisfying? Isn't the sanctuary that God made was perfect? Now then God dwells inside of us. In our spirit. We're filled with that. The same one that he was talking about thousands of years ago. That God had it planned. It didn't just happen when Jesus was on earth. It was planned from the beginning. Don't that make you just thrilled? Don't that make you say, man, alive? That word is inspired. That is God's word. How wonderful that fits together in the beautiful picture that we see of it. Amen. God bless. Get us a song, Alice. If you need to come to the mercy seat today, God says He's sitting on the mercy seat of grace and mercy. <laughs> you give that sacrifice and God will cover you with the blood. Amen. God bless.